Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. You see, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that are a fraction of the price of mattresses one can purchase in the store. The mattress industry has, for too long, forced consumers to pay notoriously high markups, and Casper has had enough. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of their mattresses through cutting up the middleman, the retailer, and selling directly to you, the consumer. Now, you see, for years, I've had trouble finding a mattress that has the perfect blend of bounce and stiffness until I finally received my own Casper mattress. Casper mattresses provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort, and this has literally changed the quality of my sleep overnight. Ha! A hybrid sleeping product that combines premium memory foam with latex foam, it has become the most awarded mattress of the last decade. Uh, mattresses start at $500, and they go as high as $950 for a California king-size mattress. These are great prices. If you, like me, are tired of expensive mattresses not actually making your quality of sleep any better, it is incumbent upon you, my friend, to go out and get one. Casper mattresses are easy to purchase, and you can do so risk-free. Casper offers free delivery right to your door, and if you are not satisfied with your purchase, you can return it within a hundred days at no cost. Let's be honest, guys and girls, lying on a mattress for a couple of minutes in a showroom is simply not enough time to tell if that is the right mattress for you. Now, Casper is willing to give the listeners of Cool Canadian History $50 off their first purchase. All you need to do is go to the link caspertrial.com slash history. That's casper, C-A-S-P-E-R, trial, T-R-I-A-L dot com slash history. Get your purchase, get your mattress, sleep better now. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 4, Episode 14, A Search for Asylum, Sitting Bull in Canada. Sitting Bull is one of the most well-known Native American chiefs in history and was the leader behind some of the most fierce resistance to American expansion westward. After his victory at the Battle of Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull sought and received asylum in Canada for several years, though this period of peace would be short-lived. 
There are numerous books about Sitting Bull, and many are fantastic. However, the 2008 book titled Sitting Bull, The Life and Times of an American Patriot by Robert Utley is one of the strongest. It is a deep exploration into Sitting Bull's life, a delve into Sitting Bull as a human, as a spiritual leader, as a military leader, and as a Native American activist. It is well worth the read and is this episode's book recommendation. Okay, so let's begin with who is Sitting Bull. Sitting Bull was born sometime in the early 1830s in Lakota Sioux Territory. This is in the modern state of Montana, along the Yellowstone River, and he was a member specifically of the Hunkpapa Lakota tribe. The Lakota were one of three main tribes that made up the powerful Sioux Nation, which occupied much of the northern plains of the United States, so Montana, Nebraska, North and South Dakota, and parts of Minnesota. As a young man, Sitting Bull earned praise and reputation as a brave warrior in skirmishes against local tribes. By 1862, Sitting Bull had emerged as a leader amongst the Lakota when they were drawn into fighting with the United States Army. At the time, the army was known more colloquially as the Union Army, who were embroiled in, of course, the Civil War. Now, the Dakota tribe, that is, eastern cousins of the Lakota, had attacked settlements in Minnesota in their attempt to stop American expansion into their traditional territory. So, in retaliation, the U.S. military indiscriminately led attacks against all Sioux people, including Sitting Bull's Lakota. This began years of Sitting Bull engaged in on-again, off-again conflict with the Americans. By the late 1860s, in the aftermath of the conflict known as Red Clouds War, a number of Lakota and Dakota groups signed a peace treaty with the U.S. government. This was the famous 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie. Yet, Sitting Bull refused to sign, stating, and I quote, I do not propose to sell any part of my country, end quote. Thus, he continued his guerrilla attacks on American settlements and military outposts. In the early 1870s, Sitting Bull led an armed resistance against efforts by the Northern Pacific Railway to build a railway through Lakota territory. This was, in fact, a successful resistance. The railway construction was stopped. However, in 1874, gold was discovered in the Black Hills of western South Dakota, and this sparked a frenzied gold rush, which saw thousands of whites enter the region, a movement Sitting Bull could not successfully stop. Tension obviously mounted between local indigenous groups, the Lakota and Cheyenne in particular, and the incoming gold miners and the settlers that followed in their wake. Sitting Bull was already seen as a great resistance leader and had gathered around him a large following of more than 10,000 people from a variety of tribes, including Lakota, Dakota, and Cheyenne. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. 
1876, Sitting Bull's strong position, coupled with continued American entry into indigenous territory, sparked what became known as the Sioux War. In June of that year, an American military detachment, that's the U.S. 7th Cavalry, led by Lieutenant Colonel George Custer, came upon a Lakota and Cheyenne camp near the Little Bighorn River in Montana. Confident his force outnumbered the natives, Custer ordered an attack. He was shocked to find that, in fact, the natives outnumbered him, and with their numerical superiority, inflicted a shocking defeat on the U.S. 7th Cavalry, nearly wiping out the entire regiment and killing Custer in the process. Custer's last stand, as it came to be known, shocked the American public, and the U.S. government responded by dramatically increasing the U.S. military presence in the region. Thousands of American soldiers now poured into Sioux territory to tame Sitting Bull and his resistance. Now, seeking refuge in Canada was not something entirely unknown to Native Americans. Various groups, going back to the American Revolution, had migrated north to escape the ever-expanding American Republic. For the purposes of our story here, it was the early 1860s which saw the first Dakota Sioux migrate into what would become Manitoba and settle in various towns along the southern border. When news of the Little Bighorn battle reached Canadian authorities, they anticipated that various Sioux groups would be arriving shortly. Now, the part of the government that dealt with First Nations in Canada was the Indian Department. But their agents on the plains were members of the Northwest Mounted Police, the predecessors to the modern-day RCMP, or Royal Canadian Mounted Police. All throughout the Canadian prairies, places like Fort Calgary, for instance, Northwest Mounted Police detachments were established to act as go-betweens between the First Nations and white settler Canada. The NWMP's mission was to enforce the authority of the Canadian government while avoiding any sort of costly war with the various First Nation groups. Wars, for instance, in the United States that were very much watched with apprehension by the Canadian authorities. Thus, it was going to be a member or members of the Northwest Mounted Police who would greet any Sioux refugees fleeing the anger of the U.S. military. Now, for most Sioux, things were looking bad by the 1870s. You see, food, in the form of the buffalo, was already scarce, and destitution from U.S. military raids had significantly exacerbated the problem. Many Sioux found themselves near starvation by the end of 1876. Thus, before the year was out, the first Sioux refugees did indeed begin crossing into Canada. In southern Saskatchewan, the first group arrived, numbering about 400, and after that, various groups continued to stream across the border. By 1877, the Sioux population in Canada was numbering in the thousands and continued to grow. Sitting Bull and his people were still in the U.S. at this time. However, they too were starving and were nearly surrounded by the American military forces who had also cut off Sitting Bull from his traditional hunting grounds. The U.S. government called for his unconditional surrender, but Sitting Bull refused. Thus, in late 1877, him and his people, numbering approximately 5,000, crossed the border and settled in the area of Wood Mountain in present-day southern Saskatchewan.
Before we continue our story, I just want to give you all a reminder that you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So, for instance, if you want to donate two bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up. We survive heavily on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring this history program. So thank you for all of those who have donated and who continue to donate. As well, on our Facebook page and on iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. And now on with our regularly scheduled program. When Sitting Bull arrived in Canada... He did so claiming to seek asylum in what he referred to as his grandmother's country. When Sitting Bull was asked why he had come to the land of Queen Victoria, he showed his grandfather's medals from the American Revolutionary War, his grandfather having fought alongside the British and given service medals depicting George III. Thus, Sitting Bull sought an ally in Queen Victoria, the granddaughter of the king, George III, his father had served. Now, the man tasked with dealing with these arrivals was Indian Superintendent and Northwest Mounted Police Major James Morrow Walsh. Now, Walsh was actually fairly friendly with the Sioux that were arriving, and he did tell them that they could live on Queen Victoria's land as long as they respected the Queen's laws and did not engage in raiding or skirmishing with other First Nations groups. If they agreed, they would receive the Queen's protection, and would even receive rations from the Canadian government. However, the Canadian government continued to harbor reservations about Sitting Bull's claim for asylum. Nonetheless, that first year was extremely peaceful, almost idyllic, and Sitting Bull's people seemed to be content. Sitting Bull even concluded a formal peace with Crowfoot, who was the leader of the local Siksika First Nation. Siksika are also known as the Blackfoot. However, after that first year, diplomatic issues began to affect Sitting Bull's position within Canada. A number of Native American groups, particularly the Nez Pierce of western Montana and eastern Washington state, called on Sitting Bull to join them in their continued fight against the Americans. Sitting Bull was warned that were he to go fight, he would lose the protection of the Queen. As well, a number of Sitting Bull's younger warriors began to stir up trouble with neighboring First Nations, particularly the Cree, Pegans, and Bloods, who were historical rivals with the Sioux. And finally, political pressure from Washington and London began to take its toll on the administration of Canadian Prime Minister John A. Macdonald. So, by the late 1870s, more and more pressure was being placed on Superintendent Walsh to negotiate Sitting Bull's return to the U.S. Sitting Bull, however, continued to refuse, and at this point, the Canadian government decided that Walsh was being too soft on the Sioux, and he was reassigned. His replacement was the new Indian Commissioner, Lieutenant Ellen F. Crozier, uh, who was ordered to stop delivering food to Sitting Bull and his people. At the same time, 
Emissaries from the United States came, and they promised Sitting Bull that his people would be taken care of if they agreed to move to government-assigned reservations back in the States. So with the Canadian government cutting off food supplies and the Americans promising that the people would be taken care of on American reservations, many of Sitting Bull's people took the bait and moved back into the U.S. By July of 1881, Sitting Bull had less than 500 people. And that very month, Sitting Bull finally gave in. He led his paltry, starving band across the border and surrendered to the Americans. Five years after the Battle of Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull was now in American custody. After a brief period of confinement, he was ordered to live and remain on the Standing Rock Reservation in South Dakota. The remainder of his life was still quite interesting and ultimately tragic. He continually advocated on behalf of Native American rights, toured both the United States and Canada, and eventually became part of Buffalo Bill Cody's Traveling Wild West show. There is an apocryphal story that said at every point in the show, Sitting Bull would come out on his horse and ride around the ring, and that during this moment he would curse all the people in the stands, the sort of white Americans in the stands. Uh, but it's apocryphal, so we don't really know if it's true. However, what we do know is that in 1890, a spiritual uprising amongst the Lakota, known as the Ghost Dance Movement, led to the attempted arrest of Sitting Bull, despite the fact that he was not a leader, nor even a participant in the movement itself. During the attempted arrest, a fight broke out between the police and Sitting Bull's bodyguard. Several people were killed, including Sitting Bull himself. One of the most legendary figures in Native American history lay dead. Today, Sitting Bull is buried near the town of Mobridge, South Dakota, in the traditional territory of the Lakota Sioux. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris. It's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And I want to thank you all for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Until next time, stay cool.